0: Welcome back to another episode of the Air Power Hour. Tech Sergeant Check here, and on this episode, I sit down with an Airman Leadership School instructor from Moody Air Force Base, Georgia, Tech Sergeant Bailey Snipes. Hailing from Southern Florida, Sergeant Snipes decided to join the Air Force at a young age while growing up in a very patriotic household. Before even joining, she spent her time in high school in a junior ROTC course, cementing her preparation to serve. After getting her first choice of jobs, Sergeant Snipes set off on her journey and to her first assignment at Minot Air Force Base, North Dakota, as a security forces defender. Her time in North Dakota ultimately led her to Moody Air Force Base, where she became an airman leadership school instructor, where she mentors new non-commissioned officers on how to be excellent in all that they do. It was great sitting down with Sergeant Snipes and hearing her story. She also makes some very special announcements on the episode, so be sure to tune in. But without further ado... Tech Sergeant Bailey Snipes.
1: To all units, proceed to your post assignment. all units, proceed to your post assignment.
0: Welcome to the Air Power Hour. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Air Power Hour. Tech Sergeant Check here, and today I am extremely excited to have the opportunity to sit down with Tech Sergeant Bailey Snipes. Sergeant Snipes is an ALS instructor at Moody Air Force Base, and she is gracing us with her presence to tell her story, and I'm super excited to hear it. So welcome to the show, Sergeant Snipes.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. A little nervous, not going to lie, but I think you do a really good job of making your guests feel comfortable and welcome. So I have confidence that you will guide me through this process.
0: Yeah, and, and you know what? You are teaching uh, new NCOs to the ways of being a non-commissioned officer at Airman Leadership School. So I have no doubt in my mind (laughs) you'll be absolutely fine on the podcast. Uh, Thank you.
1: And can I just say, I love the name Air Power Hour. If that doesn't make me want to re-enlist, I don't know what will.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, we actually had a lot of discussion about the name uh, Mm -hmm. because we just trying to figure out something that would uh, ring a bell or 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 be something that people can continue to roll off the tongue and, and make it cool. So the air power hour we settled on. Um, and uh, I think it's worked out. I like to call it I'm a- absolutely.
1: A- what do you, a- you call it? Sorry.
0: APH for short. So, gotcha. Yeah, it's kind of my thing I'm pushing on.
1: People. I mean, honestly, in the Air Force, we have an acronym for everything. So why not just create one more?
0: Exactly. Right. So you're down in Alabama, correct? Georgia, Georgia. Moody is in Georgia. See,
1: Moody Air Force Base, Valdosta, Georgia. You're already learning something.
0: Yeah, you learn something <laughs> new every day. And how close are you to Atlanta?
1: We are about three and a half hours south, so oh, it's wow, it's not a terrible drive. My husband and I actually just went up a few months ago, and we just made a little weekend trip out of it. We said we wanted to for years. We've been stationed here the last three and a half years, and we planned on traveling, but you know how COVID. Yeah. is it said you thought so we finally made the trip and it was so nice the food was great the view was great there was so much to do they have the scooters that oh, you get really? to yeah that you get to okay. rent and i was here for it
0: yeah what, what are those called what are those scooters called
1: uh, i couldn't I different the name oh, i don't know the specific um, name for them
0: yeah Yeah, I I was just uh, I follow this comedian that I'm a big fan of. And he's he was in Cincinnati and he did the same thing. They rode around on those scooters and they said they had the most
1: fun. It was the highlight of my, my trip.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So how's the weather down there?
1: Let me tell you. So I'm originally born and raised in South Florida.
0: Okay. And
1: I truly thought that I knew what humidity was. And key word emphasis on the word thought. Um, the humidity here is a whole different kind of beast. When I grew up in South Florida, I was on the coast, so we still had the ocean breeze. Yeah. Versus in Valdosta, we're in that southwest corner. Yep. And there is absolutely no breeze whatsoever.
0: So, so I was I was stationed in Charleston, uh, South Carolina for four years before okay. I came up here. And it was kind of the same thing. We would go to uh, it was it was pretty hot, obviously, Mm -hmm. because it was down south, but we were near the coast. But then when we would go to Columbia, South Carolina, which was in the middle of the state, it was like 10 times hotter. And the humidity was just insane.
1: It's miserable. It's absolutely disgusting. I will say I've never met anybody that's been to Charleston and didn't just love the area or had anything bad to say about the area.
0: Yeah, it's really nice. It's definitely uh, one of those places that is like a bachelorette. Paradise location to go to.
1: Yep, so
0: we get a lot of a uh, little lot of travelers through there, but it was really fun. I had a good time. Okay. So what we're doing here, um, why we have you on, is I want to hear Sergeant Snipe's story. I know you have an awesome story. I've got <laughs> a little um, background investigating uh, for the podcast, and I know I know you've done some great things, and you have some awesome stories to tell us. So you said you were originally from South Florida. Um, Where were you in South Florida, and when did you decide that the Air Force was going to be the journey that you took?
1: Okay, so again, originally born, raised South Florida. It's called Port St. Lucie, the town that I'm from. Normally, I tell people the West Palm Beach area, but I am two hours south of Orlando. I'm two hours north of Miami, and when it comes to the Air Force, I should say the military. I knew from a very, very young age that I was going to join the military. So when you ask. Seven-year-olds, what they want to be when they grow up, most little girls say, I want to be a princess or a ballerina. And I knew that I wanted to be in the military. Um, I was home on 9-11. My mom kept me home from school that day. I walked out. She was in the living room in front of the TV, absolutely bawling. And ever since, I just feel like I was just raised in such a patriotic household. So for Christmas, and please let me know if I talk too fast. I'm just naturally a fast talker. So if I need to slow down, just be like, start, science.
0: No, nope, you're Come fine.
1: Um, but she would send out. So instead of getting my cousins' Christmas gifts, she would spend twenty dollars, and that twenty dollars would um, send a soldier or a military member overseas deployed, basically a care package. Wow! And then my cousins would get a note saying, "Hey, this is kind of what you did." And in- response to your Christmas gifts. Same thing. I remember my mom would have a bunch of like country patriotic music playing um, yeah. throughout the house. So I just feel like it was instilled or in a very young age. I just kind of knew my calling from so much so that when I went to high school, I picked my high school based off of the JROTC program.
0: Wow. That's I love. Awesome.
1: Yes. I loved J. Rotty. I was the kid. You could thank me for my future service. <laughs> my uh, my friends and my coworkers now love looking back and finding old photos of me because you want to talk about a ribbon rack. I mean,
0: oh, I really yeah? went
1: through some things in J-Rotsey.
0: There you go. And
1: That's then, awesome. yeah. So and then from there, I just knew um, I really wanted to actually join the Marines. That was kind of the, the direction that I was going. But after talking with the Air Force recruiter, talking with a bunch of prior um, ROTC members, just learning that the Air Force and the quality of life that I would have would probably be better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And did you have any influences in your family? I mean, obviously they were very patriotic, but did anyone before you in your family serve?
1: So my dad was in the Navy. Um, He Thanks. did... A total of about four years, I think. And I don't know the exact terminology for the Navy, but I think he was equivalent to a crew chief.
0: Okay. Awesome. That's cool. Yeah, my dad did a few years in the National Guard, uh, Army National Guard. And for some reason, he always calls it the guards. Mm. He always makes it it plural. And uh, it's just so funny because he says uh, instead of basic military training, he says basics
1: don't even get me started. My dad to this day, I've been in the military for over nine years and he calls San Antonio San Antone
0: and, San Antonio. He's,
1: and he's like, it's, it's a nickname. I said, dad, you're the only person who, and when I tell him to go listen to this podcast, I have to tell him to go on spotty, not Spotify, spotty. go on spotty oh. dad and go listen to the podcast.
0: I love dads. They're the best. He they re- live in their own world.
1: Yes. And he, I mean, he really is your stereotypical dad. I mean, the new balances, the high white socks. He has zero ankle hair because the socks have taken it <laughs> away. Jorts, wow. fanny pack. Heck yeah. Just the, the whole nine yards.
0: That's great. Uh, and it's it's awesome to hear that you had such a a great family surrounding you with good influence and and uh, keeping that patriotic mindset uh, going through the family, especially after 9-11. I know that was really... You know, that that turned a lot of people um, into patriots big time. Oh, absolutely. I think that you were probably one of the many that decided like at that point, even at a young age, like this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to serve my country because I don't want anything like this to ever happen again. So good on you. And that's amazing. Thank you. Uh, Yeah. And when you decide to go speak to a recruiter, Mm -hmm. uh, I know the quality of life thing was was you know the one of the selling points um but what kind of job uh did you did you do or or what kind of job were you selected for um during the recruitment process
1: okay so i actually had security forces as my number one um the guy that i was dating the guy that i was with at the time he was a cop he was security forces as well and I just was so intrigued and even though I, I still wanted – I don't know if rough and, and grunty is, is the right word, but joining the Air Force and having a better quality of life, I still wanted to have the boots on the ground. I wanted to yeah. fl- uh, jump out of planes, kick down doors, kill bad guys, and security forces seemed the route that would allow me to do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So security forces – is your, was your number one choice and that's what you got.
1: Correct. Yes.
0: Wow. That's amazing. It's it's really cool to hear someone, and you're not the first person I've had on the podcast, but really cool to to hear someone say, this is what I wanted to do and the Air Force allowed me to do that. Um,
1: yes. I will say, even because I had so many people at the time to tell me, explore different jobs, explore different options. Of course, 17, 18-year-old Bailey, I had absolute tunnel vision. I knew what I wanted. Now, looking back, hindsight 2020 i wouldn't have changed anything but now being an instructor in my current job and seeing how many different jobs there are out there and the wide spectrum i just think how cool would it have been to be public affairs or a load master or intel just if i would have given them the time of day but again hindsight 2020
0: yeah for sure yeah it's crazy i didn't think i didn't realize because i kind of just went through the whole recruitment process just like I was like, whatever, I, you know, I want to do whatever. I just want to go. But thinking back, I mean, I've told a lot of my recruits, like I would have loved to do Intel. Yes. I that's such a cool job. And then you get a top secret security clearance. Uh, and and it's just really cool. But the vast amount of jobs that the Air Force has to offer. Um, and that's cool that you get to, to do your job right now and you get to see all different jobs from from. Uh, from these individuals that are coming to ALS to kind of get their perspective, it's pretty sweet.
1: I learn something new every single day, every single class, um, and just having the career fields broken down because, in my mind, all of maintenance is all of maintenance. No, that's not true. There's maintenance for aircraft. There are maintenance for backshop. There's maintenance for different types of systems. I mean, it's everything is so different. Same thing, ammo and weapons. Those are two completely separate jobs. And up until even now, I still have a hard time fully grasping the difference in what they do. But when I tell people, specifically civilians, I mean, the Air Force is just like any other job. I mean, you can pretty much think of anything, whether it be a A dental, uh, dental tech, a cop, public affairs. I mean, there's a job for everyone and everything.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you go off to basic training, you have your number one job. Uh, you seem pretty gung ho about the whole process of being in the air force and boots on the (laughs) ground. How was basic training for you?
1: Let me tell you, I ate it up. I was geeking out. I was nerding out the entire time. Just, well, I actually, um, when I got to basic training th- because of J rotzi when I was in a Naval J rotzi um, okay. Navy, um, program. And then we had a Marine Corps instructor in there as well. Hmm. And when we spoke, we spoke in third person when we would do inspections and wow. we would also sound off is what the term was. So you were pretty much yelling, so when I went to basic training and I'm speaking in third person, I'd give my reporting statement and I'm sitting there, this trainee needs to utilize the retreat. And my MTI is like, why are you yelling at me? And why are you talking in third person? Uh, it's <laughs> like, I thought this is what I was supposed to do.
0: I'm sorry. They
1: were, they were probably like, what is wrong with this girl?
0: Wow. Yeah. It's funny that there's so many different, like, I had no idea what I was getting myself into, um, but the T.I. must be a really, really hard job to, like, keep it together uh, when you're trying to be, like, serious and strict and like, all right, I'm laying down the law. But then, like, you have an individual like you comes in and you're yelling back at him or I just had uh, Kay Wright on the podcast mm-hmm. and he went down there and he was telling him that he was private right. And they're like, what are you doing? You're not in the army. And it it just, it would be so difficult to hold it together. Oh,
1: absolutely. And the worst part is, is I don't know if they put comedy in MTI school, but the MTIs are so funny. And when they're, you know, yelling at you or roasting you, they just have such a dry humor to it. So trying to keep your bearing and trying to keep it together. I think that was something that I did struggle with. Um, a little bit. I remember an MTI, ran out of the chow hall once, saw a trainee, didn't have his hat on, gets in his face. And at the end, he's like, boom, shaka-laka. And the <laughs> girl standing next to me, I mean, it, it was something so simple, but just hilarious at the time.
0: Yeah. I, I, I did love that. Uh, I, I think back on the times when I was in base training and it was 16 years ago, 17 years ago. Who's counting? Who's counting? <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, it just They were so funny. I mean, some of the things that they would say, too funny.
1: I do remember, though, when you asked, hey, how was basic training? I will say I'll never forget it to this day because, again, all I wanted to do my entire life was be in the military, be in the military. So when we went to that uniform fitting for the first time and we got our uniforms issued to us, I just remember I don't know if I've ever felt a more prideful feeling in my entire life. And I mean, I'm saying this more than nine years later. And it's just a feeling to this day where it's like, okay, it's getting real. I'm doing it. It, It's finally happened. My dreams are coming to fruition. So definitely a very rewarding feeling.
0: Yeah. Now, once you graduate basic training and you become an airman in the United States Air Force, you go off to technical school. Correct. And for you, technical school was right there, right? Yes. And how was tech school for you?
1: tech school was a blast. I had such a great time. We went right down the road. We hopped on a bus the morning after we graduated and go to tech school. And it was just such a surreal feeling because you start to get a little bit of those freedoms back and they start to integrate them back into your life. And, you know, for females, we were On our off time, not during training hours, but we could wear makeup again. And we were able to use our phones after the duty day. And we didn't have to use reporting statements anymore. So tech school was just so much fun. Um, And even though it was incredibly hot, I was there in the summer months. It was just from the combatives that we got to do, to the clearing out buildings, to the mounted and dismounted. exercises that we were doing it was really just a blast
0: so you got to so you you were security forces which is basically like military police for the air force so you went to this technical school and they just basically taught you like you didn't have to know how to be a cop before you got to technical school I they knew, just taught you everything
1: I knew nothing so when I um as again I feel Going through high school, I can say I did not apply myself probably the way that I should have. I remember so much saying, I'm not taking a language class, I'm not going to college, none of this stuff applies to me. So when I got to basic training, I mean, I had no education higher than a high school degree. I had no background, no knowledge on any type of law enforcement. So they taught me everything that I needed to know and granted you learn the basics. You you learn a little bit about nukes. You learn a little bit about law enforcement. You learn a little bit about security. And when you go to your duty station, depending on where you go and what the specialized mission is, that's when you learn more of the depth versus while you're in your technical training, you're learning a breadth of knowledge.
0: Yeah, for sure. And how long was your tech school?
1: I believe my tech school was three months.
0: Wow. See, I was one of those guys who, when I sat down for job counseling. I looked at the length of tech school because I was also one of those people who didn't necessarily, and my, my parents would attest to this, but I didn't really apply myself as much as I probably could have in high school. So, and I went to college for a little bit before I joined. So the last thing I wanted to do was go do more schooling. So I was like, what's the shortest tech school time? And I just took that job. So mine was only six weeks. But
1: That's not terrible.
0: Yeah. So you graduate from technical school, and where's your, where do you go? Where's your first station, your duty station?
1: Let me tell you. It was Why Not Minot. Ooh,
0: and where is Minot?
1: So they took this little South Florida girl, and they said, you are going and you are getting stationed in Minot, North Dakota. And I think the drive from the Canadian border – to Minot Air Force Base is about an hour and a half, give or take. I could be wrong. I've I've been away from there for a little bit. But if that tells you how north I am,
0: that's where we're at. Talk about a culture change. huh?
1: Absolutely.
0: And how did you handle that? How was that for you?
1: It was humbling, to say the least. I mean, there were points where I was just so cold that (laughs) I would cry, but then there was no point in crying because my tears would freeze. So. but I loved Minot as a whole. I think it really rounded me or shaped me into the individual that I am today. It taught me how to be an adult. It taught me how to be independent. I tell people all of the time, if you could guarantee me the same group that I was in Minot with, I would go back tomorrow in a heartbeat. No questions asked. Um, I think the town is phenomenal. The community, I think the restaurants are great. I think it's expanding. There's more than enough to do, but I... I also think that every base is what you make of it. And if you can yes. find joy in Minot, North Dakota, I think that you can find joy in pretty much any duty location.
0: Yeah. And I had, uh, and you know who she is, Sergeant Hall, yep. Sergeant April Hall on the podcast. And she talked about Minot. She said the same thing. It's all about how, what you make of the the location that you're in. You can choose to be in, you know, Eglin air force base down in the panhandle and be miserable, mm-hmm. you know, or you can go up to Minot and you can choose to have a blast and, and make it the best experience possible. So it's definitely up to you. And I always told my recruits that as well, it doesn't matter where you go. Um, just make the most of it. Enjoy it. You're not home. Uh, you're out on your own. You're being an adult and you get to explore and and, and see what is available to you. So, Yeah, that's cool. Minot, North Dakota.
1: Yes. And I'll tell you, the people there, it's just, it really is, when they say it's a family environment, it truly was. I mean, those people were my family. Not only did I work with them for 12 to 16 hours a day, but I also wanted to hang out with them after work. Those are the people that I wanted to spend birthdays, holidays with. It's just so, you're forced to create that community.
0: Yeah. And now I'm, I'm guessing that you're based off of what you said, you're pretty close with your family.
1: Yes. So,
0: so how was how that, you know, dynamic of being so far away from
1: South Florida? Um, it was interesting, but it, I think you, I dealt with it and I was okay just because I knew this is what I wanted to do. I think I just had faith in the process being away from my family wasn't forever. And I thank goodness for modern technology. I'm able to text them and call them. So it wasn't too terrible. I would say my parents did actually fly out one summer to come visit me. They absolutely refused the winters. They said, that's a no for me, dog. (laughs) Bailey, absolutely not. But they enjoyed it out there as well.
0: Cool. Yeah. It's always tough. I mean, you kind of, that's, it's, you have to prepare mentally to, to realize that like, You are here to do something bigger than yourself. And while you might get homesick, sometimes you have to mentally prepare for the fact that this is what I'm going to be doing. I am going to be leaving home and, and some people can handle that a little easier than others. But um, again, it just goes back to making the best out of the opportunity. I, I think I grew so much. I matured so much because I wasn't under the umbrella of my parents anymore.
1: Agreed. So Absolutely agree.
0: Yeah. So how long were you in Minot?
1: So I was in Minot for six years total. Wow. I got there in 2014. And from there I arrived as a cop and I worked in the WSA, so the weapons storage area. And I did that for about six months as a fire team member and provided nuclear security From there, I got hired on in the armory, and I worked in the armory for about three years. And I'm almost positive that Minot's armory is the largest armory in the Air Force. I mean, at the time, I could be wrong with numbers. Nobody fact-checked me, please, or or maybe you should. But I believe there's about 2,000 cops on Minot Air Force Base, give or take, and they all operate out of the same armory. So huge from weapon systems, from M9s, M4s, 203s, 50 cals, M24s. I mean, the, the list goes on and on along with all of the ammo. So that really taught me, I would say, attention to detail. Yeah. And then from there, once I graduated Airman Leadership School, they pushed me to flight. And from- when I went back to flight, being a, a security forces member, arming up every day for duty, I was a patrolman. So really your military police responding to whatever incidents might have occurred on the base.
0: Wow. So you got the whole breadth of experience, am I not?
1: Yes. It, I'm telling you, it forms, it shapes who I am.
0: Yeah, for sure. That'll definitely do that. Yes. And uh, it gives you tools. I, I mean, it gives you lots of tools to be successful in the future as well.
1: Oh, yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So now you are done with Minot, and I'm assuming that you your next assignment is where you're at, correct?
1: Correct. What's great about Global Strike is, and especially being a new cop, is they really made an effort to try to get a rotation going. So that way, <laughs> cops weren't stuck in the same location for seven eight nine years whatever the case may be yeah. so what they implemented is what's called code 50 and essentially after your four years of a control tour at a nuke base effie warren minot barksdale and there's one more in new mexico question mark albuquerque albuquerque kirkland kirkland, kirkland. yep Um, so you do your four year control tour and you get a base of preference after. So I did. Yes. So I put my eight preferred bases and I got my orders down to Moody Air Force Base, which is where I wanted. So I always said I either wanted to be close enough to home where I could drive or I want to be on the other side of the world.
0: Yeah. And And so you, how far away are you from your family now?
1: About four and a half hours. Oh, that's not bad. It's great because it's about it's that four and a half hour drive and it's far enough to where they have to call me and tell me that they're coming. They don't just get to show up, but it is close enough to where they are able to come up every six to eight weeks or so.
0: So I actually love that because we're in the same situation here. I'm originally from La Crosse, Wisconsin and we're in Oak Creek, Wisconsin now, which is Southeast Wisconsin. And it's about three and a half hours away from my family. And I always kind of joke. It's like, long enough where they can't just pop in, but you know, short enough where we can make those weekend trips. Like we're going up there this weekend. So.
1: And you have children too, right? I heard on one of your Dude. past podcasts. So that's yeah. nice having family close by to be able yeah. to help out.
0: Yeah, for sure. So you get down to Moody and do you continue to do uh security forces?
1: Yes, I come down to Moody and I'm still assigned as a cop. When I originally was trying to come down to Moody, to be completely honest with you, I was trying to get into the base defense group, and that is a squadron of cops, and their mission is to essentially train, deploy. That's all they do is they wow. train to deploy, so they work out every day. They go through exercises. They go through building clearings. They go through a bunch of great schools, TDYs, Air Assault, Jump master, and that was my goal. However, I was assigned to the law enforcement side, which was okay. You know, you make the best of what you have. And I remember doing my ACA, my feedback of standards and expectations with my supervisor. And I told him that I wanted to teach to some capacity, whether that be an ALS instructor, whether I go back to the schoolhouse in Lackland and teach security forces. I just knew that I wanted to teach. So... Fast forward about six months, I'm working flight. It's a little slow down here because of COVID. Most people aren't working. As cops, we never stop working. Right. And a job hire for an ALS instructor opens up and I immediately go ahead and apply for it.
0: That's awesome. And obviously you got it.
1: I did get it. It was a very nerve-wracking process. It was a, a two it was a local hire which made the special duty a little bit easier to, to navigate and to work through. And it was nice being able to let the person and the people potentially hiring me get to see me and get to know me versus just looking at a package and looking at what, what has she done versus being able to know me and see my character and who I am.
0: Yeah. So, did you actually get to go in and, and interview in person then?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, the first interview that I had, it, we all walked into the school building's auditorium, and the commandant at the time says, "Hey, here's five written questions. Respond to said. Here's a here's a uh, excuse me. Here's a pencil. Respond to these questions." I said, "Well, I don't have spell check on <laughs> a pencil and paper." Yeah. And he did say, don't worry about grammar punctuation, but it was essentially how different scenarios and how you would respond as a supervisor. Nice. And then the second portion of the interview was a few weeks later and I went in and it was a panel with the commandant and all of the instructors and the commandant would prompt the questions. I would respond and then if any of the other instructors wanted additional information, they wanted to piggyback, they would ask and I would elaborate.
0: Nice. That's awesome. And then you got it. I did. That's amazing. Congratulations.
1: Thank you. It's been, I say it's the best job in the Air Force wholeheartedly, without a doubt. It is the most rewarding job. I, I say job loosely, quote unquote, that I could ever ask for.
0: Yeah. And how long have you been doing that now?
1: I have been an instructor coming up on three years now. And wow. I actually put in a request to extend for a fourth year, and with the help of my incredible leadership, I'm very thankful to the CFM over in Security Forces. They did approve me to do an additional year out here, so it'll be four years nice. by the time I leave.
0: That's that's amazing. That's cool. So now I know that you're you're married, correct? Yes, um, and you're. Her husband is also in the Air Force. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. So my husband is also a defender as well. We met. Well, let me tell you, my husband is just the complete opposite of me. He is quiet, respectful, shy, just all of the things that I am not.
0: Perfect compatibility.
1: Absolutely. It's called balance. That's what I. opposites attract. Absolutely. And when I went on my deployment a few years ago, I remember seeing this guy and I was just like, I don't know if something clicked. I don't know if something was like, that is the one. But let me tell you, I was the one sliding into his DMS. I was (laughs) shooting my shot. I was sitting next to him every chance I got in the chow hall. And he would just not give me the time of day. He would leave me on red. He would give me one word responses. And I don't know, one day he pulled his head out of his butt and realized how great I am. And here we are (laughs) almost four years later.
0: That's amazing. So how does the, you know, you both being in the Air Force, how does that work? Did you meet him before you came to Moody?
1: Yes, I met him. I when I went back to flight, when I was in Minot and I was working as a patrolman, I got tasked to deploy. Right before I left for my deployment, I got my orders to Moody. So my, I wasn't PCSing, I wasn't moving down to Georgia until a year after I got my orders. So I go on the deployment, I meet my husband, I fall in love. And he was stationed in Little Rock Air Force Base at the time. So he okay. deployed out of Little Rock. I deployed out of Minot. And we were both working on MIDS flight over in Ali al Salim. Been there. I feel like most people have. Yeah.
0: I did a couple tours there. Yep. Yeah, fun, Nice little spot.
1: <laughs> the place of love is what I like to say. Yeah. I wish everybody, I'm like, hey, you really might find your soulmate out there.
0: <laughs> you fell in love on the rock.
1: That's oh, the good old rock. Yeah. And so when we came back stateside, he ended up getting orders to Whiteman. And this was before I even returned back. And we had talked about doing long distance from Little Rock to Moody. It would have been about an eight-hour drive. Cool. No big deal. That's a duty day worth of a drive. However, he from Moody to Whiteman, it would have been about a 15-hour drive. So I was in Germany en route back on a TDY. He tells me he got the orders. And I was like, you know what? Let's do it. Let's do it because I will. In the military, we're never going to get the opportunity being at two different bases to know what it's like to be married to each other. Before, or excuse me, we're never going to know what it's like to live with each other before being married. It's just not going to happen. So I think we took a little bit of a leap of faith. And I'm the person now. When you know, you know. I think I'll ask people, how long have you been with your boyfriend, your girlfriend? three, four years. And I'll say, well, are you going to marry them? And when they say, I don't know, you want to tell me after three or four years, if that's not, yes, that's my lifelong partner. What are you doing? And I just, that's just me. I think when you know, you know, and here we are with a baby on the way.
0: Wow. (laughs) Congratulations. The first one,
1: our first one, I am nine weeks pregnant
0: that's amazing! Thank Congratulations you. to you and your husband. Thank
1: you. We're very, very excited.
0: I bet that's amazing. I can tell you firsthand; it is the greatest thing to ever happen to you. So that's awesome. Thank you. Uh, and thank you for telling me that. That's that's amazing. Oh,
1: you can't tell that I'm glowing. Of
0: course, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So now, is your husband? Is he? He's working on. Moody as a uh, security forces defender? Yes. Yeah,
1: so when he stayed as a defender, he's gone through a few different jobs. He worked a back office job. He ended up deploying again. He ended up going out to Djibouti in Africa. When he came home, he ended up being the flight sergeant for mid shift for a while. And then he just recently got hired on. I believe, I feel like it's so bad that I don't say this with confidence, but I'm pretty sure he's working in S5 right now. So now he's back to working a Monday through Friday, eight to five job.
0: Oh, nice. Well, that's good. Then you guys are both on a good schedule and get to see a lot of each other, which is nice.
1: I do. I do like my husband and I do enjoy spending time with him. (laughs) Of
0: course. Yeah. It's sometimes it can be tough. I know, especially with mill to mill, like you know, you get on opposite shifts and you just never see each other and that can be difficult.
1: It can be hard. I do think I've been very lucky, I'd say, with leadership, with trying to accommodate to our schedule. And, you know, sometimes mission does come first. Hey, we need you on MIDS. We need you on MIDS. But we do what we can to make it work.
0: Yeah, for sure. So one other thing that I wanted to talk about since you've been in your position at the as the ALS instructor is. Like I said, I did some background investigating uh, for the podcast, and you were recently promoted.
1: <laughs> you put on your FBI hat, sir. Yeah,
0: I did. I did. But you, were, you weren't just promoted, promoted. There was a special situation going on, am I correct? Yes, now can you explain and go into depth and tell our listeners about what what exactly happened?
1: When you are testing in the military from E5 to E E4 to E5 and then E5 to E6 it's a test that you take and you get x amount of promotion points a year that go towards your testing. Well, when I was going up for technical sergeant E6, I had tested for 3 years in a row and I had not made it. It's very competitive, I would say, in mm-hmm. the, the DSD world, the special duties to get promoted. Mm-hmm. And it, it was difficult for me to essentially move up in rank.
0: Oh, yeah, I, I know. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> and my supervisor, who is absolutely awesome, my chief, my commander, absolutely phenomenal. They put a package together, and it's called a step promotion And what that is, is basically I get promoted based off of my leadership, my performance versus a test and my performance. So there was no test involved. I was teaching class one day and I was surprised to say the least when I saw my commander, the MSG commander, all of my leadership come in. It was great. My husband was able to be there as well. They told, which I'm super impressed. Everybody kept it a secret the way that they did because I was just genuinely so shocked and then at that moment because same when you test for e5 e6 you find out that you make it but that doesn't mean you put on the rank right away you can wait a year if not longer sometimes versus when i got step promoted they ripped off staff and they put on tech and it was that was it i was automatically wearing tech
0: that is so cool it was Go ahead. i've only known a couple people that have have gotten step promoted. And that's just so cool.
1: I will say without a doubt, it was the most amazing experience of my career. Just I think I felt every emotion you could possibly feel all of the positive ones, I, sh- I should yeah. say just in shock. And I had to go back into my class and teach after and I'm just shaking <laughs> and I'm just completely rattled. But it was an absolute just incredible experience. That's
0: amazing. And Probably very well warranted. So congratulations to that. Thank when you. Did that, happen?
1: that happened in November.
0: Cool. That's awesome.
1: Relatively recent.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm just waiting on Master Sergeant results to come out.
1: Uh, My fingers are crossed. I'm I'm putting out all of the positive vibes, all of the good juju for you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. um I I understand and and definitely can attest to it being difficult. um to promote within the uh, developmental special duty so fingers crossed
1: all fingers and toes for you
0: yeah so uh, before we wrap this podcast up I know this has been awesome to hear your story and uh, just the step promotion <laughs> marriage baby on the way I mean you've got so many great things going on in the extended tour um, but there's a couple things that I ask every single, Uh, guest that comes on the podcast. And the first one is, is throughout your career, throughout your nine year career now,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: uh, what is some of the best advice or mentorship that you have received uh, that you continue to use to this day and you will continue to use uh, in the future?
1: I think one of the best things that I have received and that I continue to use is to just never stop learning. You're never too good to grow. You're never too smart to learn something. And with that comes humility. And I just wholeheartedly believe that you're never too good to say the words that I'm sorry. So if you mess up, if you drop the ball, no matter how lower ranking somebody is compared to you or or how many steps above they, or excuse me, above you they are just you have something to learn from every single person that you interact with. And the generations are changing. I know from the time that you joined, it's different from the time that I joined and the time that the airmen are now coming in in 2023. And just because somebody's 18 years old, that doesn't mean that I don't have something to learn or something to gain from them. Especially like the world is evolving, technology is evolving, and I'm I can't just stay stagnant with where I'm at. If I want to continue to be an effective leader and a good leader, that means I'm also going to have to change as well. And that comes through learning and growth and humility.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Those are all excellent, excellent points. And they also uh, translate perfectly to marriage as well. Agreed. (laughs) And the whole time you were talking, I was like, yep, that's marriage too. You know, humility Constantly learning. Uh, yeah, those are really, really good life lessons, Sergeant Snipes. And uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. I can't, uh,
1: unfortunately, I can't take credit. It's been a lot of great wisdom yeah. bestowed upon me throughout the years.
0: Hey, and that's what it's all about. You know, having the opportunities to, to have really good mentors and supervisors. Uh, I don't know if we, we, we in the Air Force or the military in general – we put a really strong emphasis on having really good mentors and, and really good supervisors that can guide us to be successful. Uh, we have both sides of the the spectrum. You know, we, we can have a really bad supervisor that leaves a mark and, and you can say, I never want to be like that. So I'm going to learn from that to be the best um, to never be like that. Or we can have these good ones where we take really good information from and the, the, the air force just puts a, such a strong emphasis. And now you're sitting in this position where you are teaching these people to be these great supervisors and these staff sergeants who are becoming non commissioned officers. You have such a, uh, a, a heavy responsibility, um, to, to instill these values and morals into these supervisors. And, um, uh, I appreciate what you do. Um, and uh, I thank you for what you do for the Air Force. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just really good information. Um, so kudos to you. Thank you. Yeah. So the last question I have is what is next for Sergeant Snipes? You've been in nine years. What's next?
1: What is next for Sergeant Snipes? So continuously growing, as I mentioned to you earlier, I joined the military. I had no desire for an education. I had no desire to go to school. I am A-OK with joining and serving. However, when I became an instructor, it was required to have an associates or my CCAF, Community College of the Air Force, which, again, associates. I did not have either one of those things when I got hired for my position, and they said, you have a year. And when... I got my CSAF. I said, that's it. I'm done. No more school. No more school. But the problem is, is that I would come up and I would teach these students every five weeks and I would challenge them to push themselves outside of their comfort zones and to be better than the person that they were yesterday. And I just felt like such a big, fat hypocrite because every single day I'd go home and I would lay on the couch and watch Netflix. Yeah. And I wasn't doing anything productive. So then I said, okay, Bailey let's go for your bachelor's degree. Why, why not try it with the AUABC program? You're halfway done already. Let's go for it. And from there I was able to achieve my bachelor's Nice. and I'm coming up on my 10 year mark and I'm still unsure. Do I want to stay in? Do I want to get out? This is kind of the time where it's, we're yep. either committing or we're going to pull the plug because anything after 10, I mean, you're, you're in there like swimwear. Yep. That's right. So when I got my bachelor's, I said, you know what, Bailey, let's go ahead and go for the master's. Let's, let's go for the graduate program. And that's where we're currently at is I'm oh. working through my master's program. And if I do decide to get out, I just don't want to be poor. Yeah,
0: <laughs> let's not, let's right. call it
1: for what it is. I want to make sure that I'm setting myself up for success. And whether I stay in, it'll help me. My degree is going to be an organiza- organizational leadership. Nice. So whether I decide to stay in or get out, this is just kind of that next step of I can't go wrong. It's gonna help me in some way, shape, or form. So yeah. I've just am what I've learned so much more capable than what I could have ever imagined. I think we are all our own worst critics and don't give ourselves nearly as much credit as we should. But I do think how you said it comes down to having good supervisors and good people in your corner to push you and encourage you and challenge you. And again, I just sat there and I felt like such a hypocrite. And I wanted to challenge myself in the best way that I knew how. But for real, I am done. I am done with school after this. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I I will not have a a child. No, no, nope. I don't (laughs) want to be a doctor. I don't want to be going to school and having a newborn. (laughs) I'm done.
0: Yeah. Now, will you be finished with your master's degree by the time the baby comes?
1: So where I'm at currently is I should be done this time next year with my master's. And okay. the baby is due December 20th, hopefully okay. no later, because I don't want my child's birthday to get, you know, clash oh, with okay. Christmas. I feel like the Christmas babies get ripped off a little bit. Yeah. So I'm currently, I'm taking two classes right now at a time and I'm trying to decide when I, after I have the baby and after that winter break, I'll only have two classes left. So I'm trying to oh, decide- my last few semesters before the baby's born, do I want to suck it up and take three classes at a time or do I want to do continue with my two? Um, yeah. So that's kind of where I'm weighing right now because I don't know how well me being in my capstone and having a newborn will be, but I also yeah. don't know how well I'm going to be doing uh, penguin wobbling and <laughs> ch- trying – being hot, hormonal, and trying to balance – three classes as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That might be tough. Yes. But Sarn Snipes, I have full faith in you. um, And this has been awesome uh, to sit down and talk with you.
1: Thank you. Uh,
0: I, uh, I enjoyed your story and I'm glad that you had the opportunity to come on to the air power hour and, and share it with us uh, because I feel like a lot of people can connect with you. You're a very uh, connectable person. Um, and, uh, very, you, you are glowing your activity <laughs> you. and, uh, I can understand why they would, they would hire you as an ALS instructor, because that's the type of person that I would want teaching brand new NCOs, uh, how to be NCOs. So, uh, this has been great. Uh, thank you. Uh, do you have anything that you would like to add before we sign off here?
1: I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much to you and Sergeant Hall for the opportunity. Thank you for making this a little safe space. Again, I came in a little nervous and those nerves quickly exited. And I, I owe that to you and you just make it so easy. Same thing, that connectedness, having the ability to calm my nerves, just naturally and organically having a conversation. So thank yeah. you for having me.
0: Yeah, no problem. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was Tech Sergeant Bailey Snipes, and this is the Air Power Hour. Take care, friends.